You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at day3church.com. And for more information, find us on the web at day3church.com. You lose too much sleep last night. I was just tickled at the uh, early service to see anyone actually made it, you know, at, uh, at that. But thank you for coming today. We're doing a series that's our Easter series we've called Before and After. The reason for that is that in planning the series and looking at Easter, it comes so early in the month of April, very first Sunday, then we thought, well, let's use March to walk toward the cross. And then on the other side of Easter, we use the rest of April to kind of look on the other side of the cross. That's why we're calling it before and after. The before, this month, we're following Jesus in His last week as He goes toward the cross. Then as we come to Easter and the other Sundays in April, we're going to try and talk about what impact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus ought to have on our lives because it impacted His disciples in some tremendous ways that I believe we need to allow to happen in our lives still yet today. So that's where it comes from, this before and after thought. I actually started last week with a message called The Ride. And in that message, Jesus is riding a young donkey into Jerusalem. To the shouts of the crowd, Hosanna, and everything else. Problem with that is, near the end of the week, some of the same ones that are giving him such this grand welcome at the first of the week, by the end of the week, some of those same ones are yelling, Crucify him by the end of the week. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in John chapter 12. If you have your Bible with you, if you'd like to turn there and follow, it would be great uh, to do so. If you don't have your Bible with you, kind of shame on you uh, for not bringing it. Just because we put it on the screen doesn't mean not to bring your Bible. Uh, I may throw Shakespeare on the screen one of these weeks and see if you know the difference as we are looking at it. So remember and bring your Bible with you. But today we're going to talk about the reason. And in the verses that we're going to look at in John chapter 12... And in the first service, I kind of read them all right now. I'm not going to do that. I think I'm just going to read them as we go through the message instead of reading all these verses right now. But we're going to be in John chapter 12, uh, verse number 20 through verse 36. And as we look at these verses, we're going to look and try and distinguish some reasons why Jesus came. Why did Jesus ride this donkey into Jerusalem? You realize as Jesus was doing this, he was taking a trip, and he had a destination. Just like any time you and I take a trip somewhere, we have a destination where we are headed. Jesus had a definite destination. He was going to the cross. He was going to an event that had always been on God's daytimer. He was going to an event that had always been on God's to-do list. He's going to the most important event in the history of time. As Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, marches toward the cross, and there He's going to shed His blood for our sins. 
Now, that's the main reason he came, and we'll talk about that some in the message. But there are some other things we need to recognize about why Jesus came. Here's the first one. Jesus came to begin with to be approachable. Jesus came to be approachable. Where you and I can actually approach holy God. Where you and I can approach Jesus, God in the flesh. He came to make that possible. He came to make it where we can approach God. Several weeks ago, we were doing a series called The Holy Places and looking at the tabernacle in the wilderness and also later in the New Testament, it was a temple. And there's this big, huge curtain that stood between what was recognized as the presence of God and the high priest on the other side. When Jesus died on the cross and He screamed, It is finished! That veil was torn from the top to the bottom to illustrate how we have direct access to Holy God. Jesus came... To make it possible, Jesus came to be approachable. Here in John chapter 12 and uh, verse 20 down through verse 23, the Bible tells us this. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. And here's a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. In with these Greeks coming, there's some background you need to understand to this. The fact that they are Greeks means that they were non-Jewish. It means that they were Gentiles. It means that they had very limited access to this place called the temple. There was only so much, even if they became proselytes to Judaism, even if they began to follow the faith of Judaism, there's only so much that they were allowed to do. And we find them, the Bible says, coming to worship. It's the week of the Passover. And they are coming there to worship God, even though they were non-Jewish. Maybe they had started to believe in Judaism. Maybe they had already been believing in Judaism for a while. But they are there to worship. The word worship, we need to get the meaning of this because sometimes we have a misconception of what worship is really all about. The word for worship that's used here means to kiss. But it also means to lick the master's hand like a dog coming up to his master and licking the master's hand. It means to crouch before, to prostrate oneself in homage, to reverence, to adore. You see, the reason I want to point that out real quick before we kind of move on with the message, sometimes we think just because we show up at church, we worship. That's not the case. Just coming to church doesn't mean that you worship. Matter of fact, you come to church, enjoy the music, raise your hands and everything else, and that doesn't always necessarily mean that you worship. You know what I find in the Bible when people had real encounters with God? They went on their face before Him. Repeatedly. Like coming up to lick the hand of a master, like a dog doing that. These Greeks are there with that intent. They are wanting to worship God. Now there's some background also that John does not tell us about in the chronological order of things in Jesus last week that I want to point out to you. 
Jesus rides into Jerusalem, but he also goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple. Now, early in John, we see it the first time. But I'm not sure if you were aware of this or not. Jesus actually cleanses the temple twice. And that makes me wonder, didn't you listen the first time? <laughs> you know, didn't it sink in? I came over and turned over all the tables, took a whip, drove you out. What part of that did you not get? So Jesus comes the second time to cleanse the temple. And there were money changers. They kind of turned it into a marketplace. There were money changers there who were trading money for different currencies for the money that was accepted there at the temple. And there are also people selling sacrificial animals because people traveling in from a distance, it was just easier to show up, buy the animal, instead of take it with you on the journey. So they were doing that. Problem is, most theologians believe that they were probably charging a whole lot more than what they should have been charging for those sacrificial animals. And Jesus comes in and he lets them know, you've got it all wrong. You've turned this into something it's not supposed to be. And he goes in and he turns over all their tables and he drives the money changers out. Now some background also that we're not let in on completely in the Bible, but a lot of theologians believe this happened. And it was one of the reasons why the Greeks come wanting to see Jesus. There was an outer court section of the temple for non-Jewish believers called the corner or the courtyard of the Gentiles. A lot of Bible scholars believe that the money changers had set up their tables in such a way that it was taking up space where the Gentiles used to worship. And they believe since Jesus comes in and has driven out the money changers, now these Greeks have this motivation, these Gentiles have a motivation to come and see Jesus because they want to thank Him that now there's more room for them to come in that outer court and worship God. Now some of that speculation, no one knows for sure, but for some reason these Greeks come. We know they're there to worship and we know that Jesus drives the money changers out, and all of a sudden these Greeks want to see him. Some little lessons we need to grab from this part of the message today before we move on. There's a contrast that we can see in the attitude of these Gentiles and the attitude of some of the Jews. Back in Matthew, the Jews come up to Jesus and they say this, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Jesus, we want you to jump through some hoops for us. We want you to do something big. We want to see you do some miracles. If you want us to believe who that you say you are is true, then do something to prove it. And he did again and again and again and again and again. And they still rejected the fact of who he was. But that was their attitude. We want to see you do something. We want to see you perform in some way. That's the attitude of some of the Jews. These Gentiles come up and they just say this, we would like to see Jesus. Can I suggest a lesson there that we ought to learn is this? We ought to be more pumped up about just the person of Jesus than we are about Him performing some kind of miracle or Him displaying His power. See, a lot of people just think, well, I'll go to Jesus, I'll go to God when I'm in trouble, I need something big in my life, I want Him to change something, He needs to do some kind of miracle in my life, and that's when they'll go 
to God. That's when they'll approach Jesus. Guys, I'm just telling you, I think we ought to be as pumped up, if not more pumped up, just that we can approach Jesus, the very person of Jesus, than we are if he performs some big miracle in our life. Think about it. You and I can approach Jesus. You and I can approach God in the flesh. That's pretty huge, isn't it? We ought to be thrilled that we can just do that. Instead of worrying so much about, do this for me, Jesus, do that for me. We ought to be thrilled that we can just hang out in His presence and, and, and be tickled just to be with Him. Another side lesson I want you to get before we move from this part on into the message uh, has to do with, with Philip and Andrew. Philip, his name, by the way, is a Greek name. He's Jewish, but he has a Greek name. That may have been why the Greeks come to him to start with. The name Philip literally means fond of horses. Where's Philip at? Philip, do you know that when they did that to you? John, did you know? Do you think he was fond of horses or those motorcycles? Sorry. That's what his name means, fond of horses. He's from, though, a village, a fishing village, Bethsaida, and that name means fishing house. Now, here's just a little thing the Holy Spirit kind of laid on my heart when I read that in a Bible study this week. No matter what you are fond of, if you're a Christian, you don't need to forget your heritage that you come from a fishing house. No matter what you're fond of in your life, primarily, if you're a Christian, God has called you to fish for men. He has called you to share the gospel. No matter what it is you're fond of, you need to remember your heritage as a Christian is to be part of a fishing house to where we go out and fish for lost souls. So anyway, they come to Philip, and Philip goes to Andrew. Andrew, by the way, his name is also a Greek name. It means manly. And if you want to see a picture of someone that's manly, I think you can see it in Andrew's life. Because an amazing thing about Andrew is this. He's all the time taking people to Jesus. All the time. Back in the first part of John, after Andrew meets Jesus, look what he does. He goes and he finds Simon Peter, his brother, and he brings his brother to Jesus. Now, can I pull something out real quick? And if you, know, if you read my blog this week, you're thinking, oh, you're repeating something. Yeah, I am, but I've not said it on Sunday morning, so here. <laughs> Tell me what evangelism training Andrew had before he went after Simon Peter. See, a lot of times we'll use that as an excuse. Well, I would serve God. I would tell somebody about Jesus. I would do this. I just don't know how to do it. Listen, the only thing that had happened in Andrew's life at this point was this. He met Jesus, and he thought, my brother needs to know Jesus. So don't use that as an excuse, whether or not you do anything to share the gospel, whether or not you do anything to serve God. Don't go standing back and say, I, I, you know, I just don't know how to do it. You know, the flip side of it is we will try to teach you. If you want to know how to share the gospel, we'll try and do that. But I'm just telling you up front, if you've had a real encounter with Jesus Christ, there ought to be something in your heart that just motivates you to tell other people about Jesus. Because they need to know the same Jesus. He also brings this boy with the loaves and fishes to Jesus. And, you know, a lot of people think it was like, you know, lack of faith. I wonder sometimes if Andrew wasn't saying, well, 
this is all he's got, but let's see what Jesus is going to do with it. And then here in our text we're reading today, he's bringing these Greeks to Jesus. Now, we don't know fully whether Jesus gives them a complete audience, but we'll talk more about Jesus giving an audience to the Gentiles in just a moment. We need to be like Andrew. We need to be like Philip. We need to be willing to take other people to see Jesus. And here's why, guys. People need to see Jesus. The Greeks come up and they say this to, to Philip. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Don't read over that too fast. Because what people need to see is not Lynn Parsons or Daryl Triplett or you. People don't need just to see Day 3 Church. People need to see Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs. Having church and doing church the way we do it or anything else is not about making this church popular or this church famous. It is about making Jesus popular and showing Jesus to other people. And that's what we need to be about. There is a world around us that wants to see Jesus. In the culture that we live in, guys, because there is a lot of legalism built into many churches and in kind of the religious culture of this area, all through the South, kindly, it's like that. We need to understand that a lot of people are turned off to church because things that have happened to them at church, not very many people, though, are turned off to Jesus. That's why I don't need to show them church, and you don't need to show them church. We need to show them Jesus. Get them in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Another lesson real quick before we leave this. We need to make room for others to worship God. Remember just a moment ago I said that some people believe that the reason the Greeks were wanting to see Jesus is that he had chased people out of the courtyard that was taking up space where they used to be able to stand and worship. Just maybe we need to do something ourselves to make room for people to worship God. Maybe there's some things in our lives that we need to let Jesus come in and upset and drive out of our lives because there might be some things in our lives that are keeping other people from God. That are keeping other people from worshiping God. So maybe we need to ask ourselves today, God, what is in my life that I need to invite Jesus just to come in and tear up and move out of the way so there'll be room for other people to worship God? Maybe we need to ask that about our churches today. Just maybe we need to ask ourselves, God, what is in our church that can keep somebody else from worshiping God? What is in our church that keeps other people from God? What barriers have we set up that keep other people from God? And then just maybe the church needs to say, Jesus, whatever you need to turn over, whatever you need to capsize, whatever you need to drive out, do it so, they, so there'll be more room for people to get to God. So how does that practically apply to me? You're the 1030 crowd, so it might apply like this. Just maybe you need to make more room for people to connect with God by coming at 8.30. You heard that lately? <laughs> it's just a practical thing, guys. And coming up on Easter Sunday, we will need more space, I dare say. And if you can move to the 8.30 service, just maybe that would be a little something you can let Jesus turn upside down in your life for that one Sunday in order that other people might connect with God. Maybe God will lead us to the point that we have to start a third worship service. 
And I understand with that, that sounds scary because, you know, like our worship teams are here for an additional service. I'm here if my voice holds out for an additional service or Daryl or whoever's speaking, greeters and everything else that goes along with that. But if that's something that Jesus needs to come in and capsize in our lives to where we're willing to do it to make room for other people, I'm telling you something, God will make it work. Just maybe he'll tell us at some point in time, you need to build a bigger building. And that scares me to death because when we were doing the stuff around here trying to transform this into a worship center, there were plenty of times that some of us left and went home like at 2 and 3 in the morning and later than that when we were trying to renovate this place. So I'll be honest with you, think about building something new, that honestly does scare me to death. But at the same time, I'm willing to let God capsize that fear in my life if that's what he leads us to do. And in order to connect with more people, in order to make more room for more people to worship God, because if He leads us there, He will take care of it. If it is His leadership and not ours. If He leads us to that spot. So maybe there's some things we need to capsize in our lives to make room for people to worship Jesus. And the whole thing I'm making in this first point is simply this. Jesus came to be approachable. Jesus came to be accessible. Now, did he let these Greeks have a full audience with him at this point in time? We don't know that absolutely for sure. He may have and he may have not, because if you look at the life of Jesus, you'll find several times on the front side of the cross, he was saying, I have been sent to the children of Israel. I have been sent to them. But on the other side of the cross, guys, it changes. So whether or not Jesus makes room for an audience with these Greeks right now or not, he's about to do something that's going to open a big door for the Gentiles to walk through, and that is when he goes to the cross and sheds his blood for the sins of the world. He did that so we can approach God. He did that. Jesus came in order to be approachable. And I would just suggest to you, if the king of all the universe does something like that so we can approach him, we ought to make use of it. And we ought to bring other people with us why else did jesus come jesus also came to be reproducible not just approachable but to be reproducible he wants to reproduce himself look what the bible says here in these verses jesus replied the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified i tell you the truth unless a kernel of wheat talking about a seed, falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seed. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must also follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me now when jesus talks about a seed falling into the ground and dying he's talking about himself jesus is the seed he's the seed that goes to the cross and dies is buried in the ground and he takes his life back up and because of what jesus did he produces life in our lives because jesus is the seed we by faith become seeds he wants to reproduce his life through our lives. He wants you to be a seed. He wants to use you to reach other people. It's almost like a law of harvest if you'll, if you'll think about it. 
The Bible says there that it, it was time for Jesus to be glorified. Jesus is saying, it's time. It's time that I go to the cross. The most important event in history is about to take place. And he said, it's time for me, for the Son to be glorified. That word means to make apparent that he deserves glory. It's more or less what the word means. How is Jesus going to do that? Jesus is going to make it apparent that He deserves glory by going to the cross, by paying for our sins, by being buried, by taking His life back up on the third day. He's going to make it clearly apparent that He is glorious and that He deserves our worship, that He is glorified. But you see, here's the deal. Jesus wants to reproduce His life through yours. He wants to reproduce His life through your life. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. If you've received Christ as your personal Savior, you are part of the many seeds. And as Jesus reproduces His life in us, He wants to use us to put the life of Jesus into other people. I said a moment ago, it's like a harvest principle. I mean, kind of simple. Follow along with it a minute. You know, some of you are probably getting ready to plant your gardens. I, I was over at Walmart this past week and renting some of our church people over there buying stuff to plant the gardens. Uh, Walmart owes us for an advertisement bill. Uh, tell them they can send the check into the tithe next week. But uh, anyway, uh, they're getting ready to go out and plant seeds. Some of them are. Now, I've not planted a garden in a while, okay, because it's hard for me to have time uh, for it, although since they said all the tomato plants are dead, I think I may do that because tomatoes are going to cost so much this year. But people are getting ready to plant seeds. Last time I did it, I decided I wanted a few rows of beans. And you go out there and you put one single bean in the ground, and then as it germinates there, that seed dies, but in the death of that seed comes life. And you know how people do the beans. I mean, it'll come up, the vine comes up, and you've got stakes you know, in the ground, probably something like that with strings pulled back and forth between them. And that vine latches onto those strings, and it continues growing up toward the sunlight, and then it produces many more beans, many more seeds. Spiritualize that for just a moment. Jesus Christ is the seed that was planted in the ground. He wants to produce life in us. We're many seeds. And we need to grow up toward the sunlight, the S-O-N, light. And as we do so, you and I need to be reproducing what Jesus put in us into the lives of other people. Jesus literally calls it a kernel of wheat. So if you've got a kernel of wheat and it goes into the ground and it germinates and it starts to grow, you have a stalk of wheat that comes up and on the end of it, there are plenty more kernels of wheat, plenty more seeds of wheat that are there. That needs to describe our life spiritually. Jesus put life in us and we ought to be like a stalk that holds up other seeds to Jesus. They're leading other people to Him. That needs to be how we view ourselves, that we view ourselves as a See, Jesus wants to produce His life, reproduce His life through our lives. Now, what happens if you go by the seed and you take it home and you put it on the shelf and you never ever plant it? No growth. No reproduction. No multiplication of seeds. 
What would happen today if there were never, ever another seed planted? No one ever plants a garden, a field. There's never a bird that picks up a seed and drops it by accident. There's never a seed that just kind of falls off of the plant and begins to germinate in the ground. Let's say that never, ever happens. There is never, ever another seed that germinates and grows. You know what would happen before long? People on this planet would starve to death. What happens if you and I refuse to be the spiritual seeds that God wants us to be? He wants to reproduce His life through our lives. And if we say no to that, guess what happens? People spiritually starve to death. Because He wants to use your life to reproduce His life into other people. Instead of loving our lives, here's what we need to do. Instead of loving our lives, we need to love His life in us. Instead of being so self-centered, so tied up in our own junk, so motivated by what we want, instead of living our lives like that, instead of loving our lives, we need to love His life in us. Look what He said. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world, the word for world there doesn't mean this globe. It talks about a world system. The way this world operates. If you love the temptation and the sin and, and everything in this world order, this world system. He said what we need to do is hate our life in this world system. And he says we'll keep it for eternal life. You and I need to be loving his life in us. Can I ask you how you view your life this morning? What is your identity? How do you view your life? Do you identify yourself as a teacher? Let's say you're a school teacher. Is that your identity? Now, by the way, thank God for school teachers. Can I tell you something? I think they ought to make more than the professional athletes, and everybody ought to say amen. Maybe you're a carpenter, maybe you work in a factory. Maybe you work at a hospital. Maybe you run an office. But how do you view yourself? What is your identity? How do you identify yourself? See, all those things I just mentioned are our vocation, your vocation. My suggestion to you is this. Don't view yourself based upon your vocation. That's what you do to make a living. Here's how you need to view yourself. You need to view yourself that you are a seed. You are a seed that God wants to use to reproduce His life in the lives of others. Whatever you do is fine. Whatever you do to make a living, that's fine. But that's not the primary reason you exist. If you're a Christian, your primary reason for existence ought to be to reproduce the life of Jesus into the life of other people. That ought to be what you're about. That needs to be how you view yourself. You need to love that type of of life and view yourself as a seed Jesus also tells us this serving him is accomplished by following him look what he says whoever serves me must follow me and where I am there my servant also will be Kind of like when I talked about evangelism a moment ago. Some people think, well, you know, before I can do anything at all, I have to be trained. Some people view this in serving Christ. 
See, there may be some of you today that are thinking, before I can serve Christ or know how to serve Him, then a pastor has to tell me what to do, or a staff person has to tell me what to do, or I have to go to seminary or a Bible college and be trained in what to do. I think this verse flies in the face of that. Now, I'm not minimizing the fact that pastors are supposed to train you. That is greatly my responsibility, to equip you for the work of the ministry. That's what the Bible says. But I am telling you this. You learn how to serve Jesus by following Jesus. Now, to make that clear, let me tell you what some of these words mean. Whoever serves, the word serve there means to wait tables. It means to do a menial task. It's the same word that's translated deacon in the Bible. By the way, deacons were never meant to be some ecclesiastical order in the church. They were meant to be servants in the church. Pastors are servants in the church. And it means to do whatever needs to be done. So he says, whoever serves me, whoever does even menial tasks, whoever gets down through the dust and does whatever needs to be done for me, must follow me. And the word for follow means to walk in the same way with. It literally means you're walking on the road with Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, that's where you are. You're walking in the same way with Jesus Christ. And you see, that's how we can figure out the way He wants us to serve Him. If you don't know how to walk in the way Jesus walked, read your Bible. The Bible is full of how Jesus loved people, the attitude that Jesus had, what Jesus would do, you know, actions that were involved in His life. And if we want to learn how to be a better servant, what we need to do is learn about Jesus and follow Him. Do Jesus-type stuff if we want to learn how to really serve Him. He says, whoever serves me must follow me, be in the same way with me, and where, and a way for me just to kind of easily translate the word where, it means wherever place, whatever you experience, anything else. He said, wherever I am, there my servant will also be. So if that word where means wherever, whatever, it also means this. If serving Jesus gets you in prison, that's fine because you're serving Jesus. If serving Jesus... Gives you some accolades of a crowd. That's fine as long as you were serving Jesus and that was your motive. The deal is we ought to be willing to serve Jesus wherever it takes us. If it costs us something, if it makes us be right, you see, you might get nervous a little bit thinking about following Jesus means being in the way with Jesus. Let's see, it took him to a cross. See, it might make you a little nervous. And some of you right now might be thinking, well, if I have to do that, if I have to follow Jesus, if I have to do Jesus-type stuff, and no matter where it leads me, no matter where it takes me, that just seems like it's asking a lot. And some of you, based upon that thought, you might be getting ready to bail right now, and you think, man, if, if that's what it means to serve Jesus, to, to walk in the way with Him, and no matter where it takes me, it's fine as long as I'm following Him. I, I just don't know about that. Well, see, you need to see the promise that Jesus attaches to this. Jesus then said this, My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, that shouldn't be, oh, well, you know, thing. That ought to blow your mind. The God that spoke everything into existence said, Let there be light and there's light. The all-powerful, almighty God of all the universe, 
Jesus said that He will honor us if we follow Him, if we serve Him. He says God will honor us. I don't know about you, but that sounds like it's worth whatever I face. Wherever it takes me following Jesus, that just sounds like it's worth it if the God of all the universe somehow will honor us. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to be approachable. Jesus came to be reproducible. He wants to reproduce His life through our life. Jesus also came to be obedient. Obedient. Look at what's said. Now my heart is troubled. The Greek word literally means agitated. I mean, He's really tore up. We get a little foresight of what's going to happen in Gethsemane in just a few days. Because Jesus, being God in the flesh, He knows what's coming. He knows the cross is on the way. He knows He's about to be nailed to the cross. He understands He's going to suffer. He realizes He's going to be beaten. And He also understands this above everything else. In that moment, He's going to have the sin of all the world, all mankind, put on Him as He hangs on the cross. He knows this is coming in His heart's trouble. So much so, when you get to Gethsemane, he's there and he's sweating drops of blood out through the corpuscles of his skin because he's so troubled in his heart about all that is about to happen. So now my heart is troubled. So what shall I say? Since he's troubled, should he say, well, Father, save me from this hour. In other words, God, get me out of this. You know, Father, get me out of this. I don't want to have to go through this. Well, That's a rhetorical question because Jesus answers it. And he says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. He said, this is why I came. This is why I'm here. I'm going to be obedient to the Father and do everything He wants me to do. God the Son, being completely obedient to God the Father, will suffer and take everything that's coming His way because that's why He came to begin with. See, here's the deal on that. If Jesus is willing to be that obedient... I think we ought to be that obedient as the followers of Christ. We should be obedient in our own lives. Not in order that we can be saved, but because we're saved by the amazing grace of God, we ought to have a desire to be obedient. You realize Christian means little Christ? That means we ought to also be obedient because He was obedient. We ought to be obedient. Check out what happened next. Then a voice came from heaven. And God the Father says, I have glorified it and will glorify it. In other words, I've already glorified my own name, God is saying. And He says, I am going to glorify it. How? Here's how. His Son is going to be nailed to a cross, shed His blood for the sins of the world, take His life back up. God is about to glorify His name through the obedient death of His Son on the cross. The voice said that. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. And others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this was for your benefit, not mine. Interesting word in the Greek for voice is pronounced phone. When you look at it in the English spelling, it is P-H-O-N-E. I studied that this week. I never noticed before. I thought, that's kind of neat. It's like God picked up a phone in heaven and said, hey, listen, I've got something I want you to hear. And all these people heard the voice speak. Now, notice their reactions. Here's what the liberal crowd did. 
The liberal crowd said, oh, that was just thunder. See, that still happens in our day and time because if people are wanting to reject the truth and the validity of God's Word and miracles and things that happen in the Bible, they're all the time trying to find some physical reason why it could take place and happen. So here they hear God speak, and instead of saying, oh, that was God speaking, they say, oh, that's just thunder. The hyper-spiritual crowd on the other side, they said, oh, that was an angel. By the way, you, do you realize there are some people in the world today that are more pumped up about angels than they're pumped up about Jesus? That's a problem. Jesus is to be the main focus, and yet there are people that will get more excited about angels than they ever get excited about Jesus Christ. So you've got kind of a couple of different opinions happening here. And then Jesus says this, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now understand, one day he's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. The Bible tells us that. One day Satan will be thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever. Thank God that's going to happen. I wish it would happen tomorrow. He causes me a lot of trouble. Does he cause you trouble? Thank God one day that's going to take place. But notice that Jesus says, now is the time. So you see, when Jesus went to the cross and did what he did, Satan was already a defeated foe. But here's another little aspect of that. You might be wondering and asking the question, how does that happen? How right now, because of what Jesus did, is the prince of this world, that's talking about Satan, how is he being cast out? Here's how. One life at a time. As someone receives Christ as their Savior, one life at a time, the prince of this world, Satan is being cast out of this world, one life at a time. About a month ago, uh, Tim Bradshaw, Tim normally comes to the first service, uh, Tim called me, and uh, a lady that he's dating right now by the name of Treva Triplett, and uh, I think it might have been the this, this Sunday after I kind of poured the blood uh, up out here and made a place on the carpet that uh, I hope always stays there to be honest with you but uh, she had him to call me and she wanted me to come talk to her so I made an appointment went to see him in the home that night and that night while I was there Treva Triplett prayed and received Christ as her Savior one life at a time Satan being cast out Chase, I hope you don't mind this because I didn't get a chance to see you beforehand. This past Monday, Chase Hux came in with his mom to talk to me about some stuff. But what Chase wanted to talk about was this. First thing he said when he looked at me, he said, I, I'm concerned about being saved. He said, I'm almost 18 and I've never done anything about it. And we talked and we went through the gospel. And uh, about 15 to 7 this past Monday night, Chase received Christ as his Savior. Man, just go ahead and stand up so they can see. Just, I'm just going to even stand up. That's, you know, well, thank God for what Jesus did. Thank you, man. He did it with tears. And someone might say, do you have to cry to get saved? No, but I sure do like to see it. And just a few minutes later, I had a worship team meeting scheduled. He came in with me to the worship team, and I told him, I said, I want you to do something you need to do for the rest of your life. I want you to come in and tell the people on the worship team what just happened, and he did, and it blessed their socks off. 
And during the time that I was meeting with him, you know, there was also stuff in my mind that I needed to be getting ready for the worship team meeting, but my priorities weren't mixed up. That was first and foremost. Amen? But you know what happened during the worship team meeting? I had no idea for sure what we were going to do in May, but in the worship team meeting, in three minutes, God gave me the title of five messages in three minutes' time for the month of May. Wish it always happened like that. Maybe if I lead more people to Jesus, it would. I don't know. There's a guy here by the name of Drew. Andrew. Hmm, we just talked about an Andrew. But a guy by the name of Drew Rhodes. Drew's going to come up and give you a testimony. And we're about done, folks. So don't worry about time or anything like that. We're almost done. Just some verses on the other side of this I'm going to read. But when Chase received Christ as his Savior, the Satan, of, Satan, the prince of this world, was being cast out. Drew's going to tell you a little bit about his story from uh, well, a few months ago and earlier in his life and all too. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all this morning? I'm Andrew, Superman, as some of y'all know. <laughs> um, um, I, I need to explain that. The reason he says he's Superman, he rides a BMX and he gets as high as this ceiling in the air, so that's why we call him Superman. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep this short and sweet for everybody, but my time started in a, a bit of a, a messed up situation. You know, I grew up as a city boy. Was never out in the country, never, you know, seen cows and horses or anything like that. You know, I turned 13, you know, started going out a lot, hanging out with a lot of friends. Ended up getting in with gangs. Go figure. They were, it was a place where I felt like I was at home. Ended up selling drugs, you know, stealing money, robbing people, stealing cars. I mean, just acting like a fool. And... You know, I had all these issues in my life, but right after my 14th birthday, me and a buddy of mine went out, went to go do something stupid. My buddy got shot with a 40 caliber, standing about as far away from me as Lynn was. He got shot in the face. It was over with, one shot, one kill. I carried him two blocks, bleeding on me, to the hospital. He didn't make it. He was DOA, which is dead on arrival for those who don't know. It tore me up big time. You know, I, I got out of the gang. I got out of the BS. You know, I, I tried to do better with my life and, you know, I, I found a bike. So I started riding it. This was going on 15 years now. I've been riding bikes but had never really understood why I loved it so much. You know, I, I come out and I, I get on that bike and the whole world disappears. It's just me and that bike. And that's what I love so much about it. That's why I do the things that I do. That's why every Sunday, if you do look out back after this service, I will be out there on my bike. Uh, you just wait. But... <laughs> You know, after I lost JJ, which was my best friend that got shot, I went crazy. Spent time in this place called Shepherd Pratt, which was a little loony bin. Got out of there. You know, I moved away from the city out to pretty much suburban type deal. You know, got a great job with my father, you know, running equipment, 
worked with my dad all day long, spent ample amount of time together. About a year after that, 2007, well, a couple years after that, I had work, I was working late one day. My father had already come home. I got home and my father had been drinking and my stepmother had both my little brother and sister and was putting them in a car. She told me I needed to go talk to my father. I ran upstairs faster than lightning. It's gone because I knew that he needed me. I got up in the room and he's drinking and screaming and yelling and hitting stuff and knocking stuff off counters. And I looked at him and I said, what's wrong, Dad? And he looked back at me with this look that could pierce any one of the souls in this room right now. My father took a 45 Desert Eagle and put it to his temple right in front of me and pulled the trigger. <coughs> Completely gave up on his oldest son, not only me, my little brother, my little sister, and my older sister. He gave up on us all. And you don't realize how important somebody is till you lose them like that. And you don't realize how, how strong your family chain is until one of them links break and your family's gone, everybody. I called the police. You know, I'm screaming out the window, going crazy. The police set me down. Next thing you know, my fingerprints ended up on the gun. Me and my father were shooting that gun earlier that day at work, just because it was something to do during break. Had gunshot residue on my hand. They charged me murder one. Yes, they did. It was terrible to try to tell me that I shot my own father, the one man in this world that I love just as much as I love Jesus, but had never knew who Jesus was at that time, never knew what to think about him, had never been to church, nothing. I got, I got off of every single charge that I had. No public defender, no lawyer. I walked in the courtroom myself and looked at the judge with my own eyes, cried in the courtroom, and she knew that I did not do that, that I was not capable of something like that. So I got off scot-free with a new life. I left Maryland. I moved to Granite Falls. <laughs> and, you know, I, I experienced things down here that I would have never experienced up north, you know what I mean? I, and I fell in love with this place. And then one day I had a really good buddy of mine told me about these dirt jumps out back of a church. <laughs> Didn't know nothing about it, just mounds of dirt. I was like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> and I, we went, you know, I come here about four days before the D3 challenge. And we rode for about four hours and then I went home. Didn't think nothing of it. We were going to come back that Sunday for the challenge. And, you know, I wasn't even planning on entering, nothing like that. Wasn't expecting to get what I got out of it. We went. I ended up winning first place. Don't ask me how. I guess I just jumped higher than everybody else. You know, I met some of the coolest people in the world and actually a couple a bunch of my really good friends. And to this day right now, you know, I, I thank them every day and I pray for them every day. You know, and after that, you know, something had called me here. Something had brought me here, be it my bike, be it the Lord, be it myself. Something brought me to this building. To, it drug me in here. 
I came into church one day without an expectation, without anything. And then right here, right in front of this stage, I accepted Christ into my life. Amen. Thank you, thank you. And then not only that, by my own choice, all right, this is not mom and dad, grandparents influencing me. I was baptized right there by one of my best friends, which is in the back right now, Brad McBride. Thank you, brother. You know, and I, I try so much to, to help out, you know, to do what I can, be it with the youth, if you want to talk, anything like that. You know, I, I'm always here. I try to be here every Sunday, you know, and I will say, to be all honest, this place right here has given me the feeling that I lost with my father passing away. This place has filled that hole in my heart. All of you have helped fill that hole in my heart, and some more than others, and you guys know who you are, you know, and I'm just so grateful for all the love that I get when I walk through them doors and all the love that I get to give out because it's not just for me. It's for him. It's for all of us. You know, it's for everybody. You know, this, this life is too short to not love. This life is too short to not have been loved, you know. And I just want you guys to know that no matter what happens in your life, put your hands together, look up. It can and will get better. I'm living proof of it. Amen. And, you know, I've survived through the hardest of times. You know, I've, I've had to see what I've had to see. But God put me through that to make me the man that I am today. And I will never forget that, and I will never take that for granted ever in my life. And for that, I, I'm truly thankful to each and every one of you, especially you, Lynn, Brad, Brandy, all of you. <laughs> You know, and I know that I'm just mentioning a few names because those are just the ones that are popping up in my head. But you know, I just want to say thank you to all of you for accepting me for the person that I am and not not wanting to change me, not wanting to to let's see how would you say it? Not wanting me not wanting to push me into something that I wasn't sure about. Because when I was sure about it, I pushed myself. Y'all didn't have to push me. Y'all just gave me that extra. <laughs> so, and, you know, everybody knows about Skate Jam, right? Am I right? All right. I hope everybody's as excited as I am about it. Um, I'm not sure about funding or anything like that, how far we are along with it. You know, I just, I really want you guys to know that we're not doing this just to get day three publicity. We're not doing it you know, to, to bring ourselves up. You know, we're doing this in the name of the Lord for not only the adults, but for children too, you know, and we all, we've all been there. We've all wanted something that just made our lives a little bit easier. And hopefully this is the reason why God called me here is so that I can take that little BMX bike and hopefully impact somebody else's life. And if I impact one other life in this world, then my job's done. But then again, it's not because I always want to go bigger. I always want to be better, you know, and that's what drives me to do what I do. And I just really want to thank you guys for letting me get up here and talk. And 
I want you guys to have a lovely day. It's supposed to be great weather, so <laughs> let's enjoy it. Okay. Uh, I hope none of you would ever need to ever ask me now why we do church the way we do church because that's why uh, that's why to do things a little differently that's why some stupid mounds of dirt with some people that have a heart for young people can change some lives out here uh, that's why this church exists to do things like that and you see, you can be a part of it by being the seed that I talked about earlier. You can give. That's our mission project for Easter, to give to put on this skate jam. It's going to cost around $5,200. Brad and Brandy have kind of stuck their neck out a whole lot. Our goal was just their church is to try and raise about 2000 So I pray that you'd give between you know, this month and next month. It's going to be May the 22nd. Last year it was done at a different location. I think maybe around 17 or so, you know, kids and teenagers came to Christ that day. So I hope you'll pray about that and give. And volunteer, because they could use some volunteers helping out here. I'm just saying we need to be obedient. Jesus came to be approachable. Jesus came to be reproducible. Jesus came to be obedient. And one last thing, I'm going to read some verses to you, and then we're going to close. The band's going to come and play. But Jesus came to be sacrificial. That's why he came. See, in John 12, verse 32, tells us this. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And just to where we clearly understand what Jesus is talking about, when he says, if I be lifted up, here's the meaning of it. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And the crowd didn't understand it. They thought, oh, the Messiah is supposed to be here forever. But Jesus said, no, I came to die. I came to go across, be lifted up, and die for your sins. And as we close, I want you to look with me at Isaiah 53. And I want to ask you, between now and Easter, I want to ask you if you would please read Isaiah 53 every day from now to Easter. I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just going to read straight through it. It ought to speak for itself. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, talking about Christ, grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Before the Roman government had ever figured out how to crucify people, the Bible tells us this. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed. 
We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Do you want to know who his offspring is that's being spoken about? People like Drew that's received Christ. If you've received Christ, you're his offspring. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light. He's resurrected from the dead and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will will divide the spoils of the strong because he poured out his life into death and was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Look just for a moment at Psalms. I am being poured out like water, the perspective of Jesus on the cross. All my bones are out of joint. Once again, before the Romans ever created crucifixion, it's described how Jesus would die hundreds of years before. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. If you saw... the movie that Mel brought out that showed the crucifixion of Jesus and the passion of the Christ as bad as that looked it was not as bad as it really is why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus do that? Why did He so suffer on the cross, even where His bones are showing through His body? Why did He go through that? Jesus came to be approachable. So you and I, through faith, can approach holy God. Jesus came to be reproducible. He wants to reproduce His life in our life to impact the lost world. He came to be obedient, and through His obedience, He died on the cross so that by faith in Him, as our sacrifice, you and I can have everlasting life. And the crowd said, well, how in the world can this happen? Didn't understand it. And here's what Jesus said to them. Go, go ahead, please, up to... Next slide. 
Then Jesus told them, the ones that said Messiah is supposed to be here forever, Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. He's talking about them having an opportunity, an opportunity to believe in Him, an opportunity to trust in Him. And right now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you will have that opportunity in just a moment. He says, while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become the sons of light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. I want to tell you this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to have a sense of urgency in your life because you never know when it might be your last opportunity and what if he hides himself from you. You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com.